Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> uh, I'd just like to echo as uh, Jenny and Jennifer's thanks and appreciation to you all. Uh, we don't just say it just to say it like it's, you know, be a polite thing to say as we really do. You know, value your support and how you've partnered with us uh, faithfully and continually and how our relationship you know, with you has grown. Um, and we, uh, we do think of you often, honestly. Uh, we do pray for your church um, and for you all individually that the Lord would strengthen you, especially in these recent times as things have been so difficult. And uh, keep in touch with Pastor Mark as to how things are going in the church and all of that. And um, so uh, we do care about you and we do appreciate you and value you and consider you as uh, partners with us. And so I just wanna really just uh, express that thanks um, as well. I'd like to uh, begin just in prayer today as we open is the Lord's word. And if uh, you would just uh, pray with me. Father, we <clears throat> open the pages of your word. Lord, what we need is for the print on the page to be imprinted in our hearts. Lord, that is the work of your Holy Spirit. We confess our own dullness. Lord, our own dullness is so little that sinks in so often. And yet, God, we need for all of your truth is to sink deeply and powerfully into our hearts, our souls. And we pray today, God, I pray for my own self as, uh, Lord, I basically as speak your words is that uh, you would speak to us, you would speak to me, that you would strengthen us, that you would embolden us, Lord, that you would move us, that you would convict us, that you would inspire us. Lord, we long is to be like you rather than to be stuck in the place that we are. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would so move through your spoken word. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Today, as has been noted, is the uh, uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And, you know, we are here um, to say to you is that, you know, the persecution is real. Sometimes it can seem surreal because it's so far away. But we can tell you firsthand, you know, from Bangladesh and just this morning, as news I just received, is persecution is real in the world, um, particularly in Muslim countries. And it takes on different shapes and forms. And so we are recognizing that today and uh, an issue for anyone in uh, facing persecution and in a persecuted country is what is going to control me in this situation, the fear of death or the love of Christ. That's a fundamental decision that everyone has to make. The fear of death or the love of Christ is going to control me. And that is the subject today is this very matter is the fear of death. And I think in these times, these times really manifest more than ever this issue for our life and probably and obviously is manifesting a lot as to what really is going on in our souls in this matter. And so the question that I pose to us today is this, is, is the fear of death controlling your life? Is the fear of death controlling you? Or is the love of Christ? And this is the matter that we are going to consider, and we begin here in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15. Um, and here is, is written is to what Christ did for us and to why he came. And in verse 14 it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, as he himself also partook of the same. So we are the children, we are the people, right? We are human. And what did Jesus do as he came? The Son of God became a Son of Man, right? Became like us in body, right? And, and he took on our flesh. And why is that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil? How did the devil have the power of death? Why is it the devil doesn't have the power of death now? Because it says is that what Jesus did is he came to render powerless the devil, why? Because he had something over us, and that was the power of death. We know the devil actually cannot kill us, like eternally kill us himself. But we know starting from the garden is what did he do? Is he effectively had the power of death over Eve and Adam because he led Eve, right? And then Adam, 
into sin and, right, eating from that fruit to the tree. And when they ate, what happened to them is that they died, right? They spiritually died. And then soon after came their physical death. And because they died in their sin and there was no atonement for their sin, therefore they were perishing, right? And had no hope, therefore, of living eternally. And so in this way, the devil has the power, had the power of death in that he could lead a person into sin. And if the person sins, then he dies, right, in spirit and then hence in soul and body. And therefore he perishes. And this way is the devil had the power of death is right as over us. So when Jesus atoned for our sins, he came, became a man, he atoned for our sins. He atoned for our sins to do what? Is to make atonement for our sins and therefore to free us, having made up for, having propitiated for our sins, as it would later say, is therefore now there was forgiveness available in him right, from God for our sins, and if I am forgiven of my sins, then is I do not perish because of my sins, but Christ rescues me. So therefore, Satan no longer has the power of death um, over me in my life, because Jesus Christ now can free me from him. So this is what Christ achieved for us is on the cross. But we see in verse 15, to go a step further and deeper, is it also says he also came and atoned for our sins for this second reason, is he might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery, is, is all their lives. And so it says here is that the human problem, and it's being seen all over the world now, is that man has a fear of death. And this fear of death, it controls him, it enslaves him. It dictates what he does and how he thinks and how he feels. It controls his life. And some of the symptoms of the fear of death are, in our lives, is that whenever there's any kind of threat to our safety, a threat to our security, a threat to our health, is a threat to our finances, a threat to our pleasures, a, a threat to our position, a threat to our acceptance. There's all these things of this life is that when that threat comes is what happens is we become anxious, we become fearful. And this anxiety and these fears that we have about our money, about our safety, about our health, about our pleasures, about our positions, about our jobs, all of this really is rooted ultimately in the fear of death. And there is a great fear of death um, amongst people. And another evidence of it is a subject that we avoid. We avoid the subject of death, even though Ecclesiastes says in chapter 7, we ought to go to the house of mourning where people are dying because this pertains to all men. And this is our end, is we avoid it. We avoid the subject of it because it makes us uncomfortable and it is rooted right in this fear of death. And so what do we do is we insulate our lives and that's a lot of what goes on in our lives. We insulate our lives and try to pad our lives from all threats, all discomforts, all losses, all illnesses, right? Is uh, all risk, right? So we're safe. Because deep down as we fear, and the ultimate fear is death, and all of these threats are threatening really my life. And so this is what we do. And our mission to Bengalis, and to those in the Muslim world and the Hindu world, is to free them from the fear of death. In Islam, there's a great fear of death. The reason that Muslims pray five times a day is because they are constantly, five times a day, saying those prayers is to pacify God, to uh, gain his favor 
because there is a feeling inside deep down is a fear of his punishment. And if you ask a Muslim, if you died today, is what would happen to you? Where would you go? They all say, as I don't know. And most will end up saying, as I believe I'm going to go to hell. And so they're always atoning for their sins through their prayers, though ineffective, because of this fear of death. And so our mission is to free them is from the fear of death. The question, however, though, is does the church need to be delivered from the fear of death? And is there a difference between the Christian and the Muslim, practically speaking? Jesus came, as is written here, is to free us from the fear of death, that we would have a liberty and we would not feel like everyone else feels like when the different threats come upon their lives or death comes upon their lives. And so to get a look at what the freedom from the fear of death looks like, we look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. And here we see is what Christians went through at this period of time and there was this threat um, on their lives. It was very tangible. It was very real. It was very physical. And is how they reacted. And what was the key? Why did they react the way they reacted? In verse 32, it says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. So what had happened here is that in these times, there were these unbelievers. They were enlightened. They saw the light of the glory of Christ. And they believed, and what happened subsequently was is that they in, uh, endured a great conflict of suffering. So it wasn't a small thing. It wasn't a little thing. It wasn't like, oh, people don't talk to me, ignore me, or something that was much more severe than that. They, right, endured a great conflict of suffering. How did they suffer? First of all, in verse 33, it says, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. So people began to mock them as people began to ostracize them. They became outcasts in society. And it's partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. So therefore, there was a Christian, and I saw that he was being mocked and mistreated by society, and now do I associate with him, and therefore others understand that I am a Christian also, and I am his friend, or do I disassociate and these people chose to stand with and by, right, their brothers and sisters in this. And it says, is for you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Meaning is what they did is certain Christians were persecuted. They were thrown in jail. They were suffering for their faith. And therefore, as other Christians decided is, am I going to go to the jail to comfort, to encourage, or to bring something is to them in jail? Or do I stay away lest anyone discover that I'm a Christian and then I get arrested and then I be in jail with them? So we see is that they made a decision. They did not fear death, but rather they chose to associate and to go to right, as those who are being persecuted and join with them, and be it may, is that they would receive the same reproach, mocking, or be in prison jail themselves. And it says, is, is and probably being made a public um, spectacle through the uh, reproach and tribulation by becoming shares those are treated for you, showed sympathy to uh, the prisoners, and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And so it says is then what happened is that not only did they lose their name and not only did they lose their safety or their physical freedom, because some of them were jailed, is they also lost their property, their possessions. It means as people looted their homes just because they were Christians and they took on this freedom feeling they could do this in society and the authorities would do nothing about it against them. And so it says, as these people were losing everything, right, is for Christ. And so this is a fearful situation. And yet we see is, is how did they react? In verse 34, it says, as they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property, which means even though they were in danger 
And even though a normal person would be afraid and would fear, and a normal person would then avoid being associated with the other Christians, and therefore, as a church, you would avoid congregating together because if we congregate together, then they know we know each other, and if they know we know each other, then they're going to know that we are Christians. So the safe thing to do is not to meet. It's the safe thing to do because we must protect our lives. But they didn't do that. They identified themselves with the other Christians. If they were to get arrested, they were to get arrested. And if their property was going to be taken, their property was going to be taken. Think about it would be like if you went home today and you found that your place had been looted and all your possessions were taken and your house was all damaged. Would you still come to church? They did. It says actually in these circumstances, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They were happy. You know, if you read in Acts chapter 5, after the disciples had been threatened not to speak anymore in the name of Christ, it says then they were flogged. And it says there is after they left, they left rejoicing. And the reason they were rejoicing was because they counted it an honor to be able to suffer shame for Jesus' name. So, in other words, there's another kind of joy. There's one kind of joy is safety. I'm safe. I've got everything I need. I've got everything I want. And I got no harms, no problems. I'm healthy, et cetera, et cetera. In my life, I'm good. That's a kind of joy. And that's the American dream. But God has another kind of dream. And there's another kind of joy where is actually I lose all this stuff. And there is like a joy in losing for Christ in being able to suffer for his sake. Even though it's my physical loss, they found there was a spiritual gain, a spiritual joy. And so it happened. Why did they do this? In verse 34, it says, this is what drove them, is knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So it says is, is that really the reason why they were able to rejoice in these circumstances was, is they had for themselves, they had a knowing that they had a better possession that's an eternal possession. That means eternal life, eternal treasure, eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal happiness, eternal oneness, eternal perfection with God forever. So because they knew they had that, they didn't care if they lost that. And so the crux of their joy and the reason they could be this way was, is they had such a hope such an expectation, such a looking forward to heaven that they didn't care what happened to them on earth. And therefore, they did not have the fear of death. The fear of death did not control them. In Solomari, it's one of the villages where our ministry is, Pastor Mana, we've seen... Christians being like this, like right now, just this past week, Jennifer already shared one example of Pastor Manon's wife. In this case, it's about a week ago, the church met, and at the church service, I guess it was towards the end, is a man came, and he does the call to prayer in the mosque, and he also does service things in the mosque, so he was devout. His wife was secretly coming to the church because she wanted to hear about Jesus. And she liked what she was hearing about Jesus, so she came again, and she came again, and she realized that these things that people said about this bad teaching in the church was actually good. What happened is her husband found out that his wife was going to this church, 
And the men in the mosque said to the man is, we have heard that your wife is going to the church. Why is she going to the church? You must do something about this. So the man became all flustered and very upset that his wife was doing this. And this was a tension for him because it really looked bad for him being, you know, the call to prayer at the, at the mosque and his wife is going to the place of prayer at the Christians. So he goes there and he beats his wife in front of the people at the church. He came with a gang of 12 young men and they threatened is to burn down the owner's home where the church meets. And they told and rebuked is Pastor Manon that he is giving a false teaching, leading people astray, and that he is to desist from all of this preaching and that otherwise harm is going to come to him, physical that is. And then they reported him to the village leader. The man then went home and so angry at his wife is that he beat her to unconsciousness. She had to be taken to the hospital and then later was released and was brought to her home. Pastor Manon is, called me, is immediately to let me know what was going on. This is a part of our ministry, is supporting the persecuted church. What do you do now? And so we began to walk through this with him. And so he met the next day with the village leader. And he told his people, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go alone. You all stay here for your safety. And so he went by himself to go meet with the village leader. The village leader did not want to meet publicly, lest there be a ruckus uh, that would occur, and the pressures would be upon him. So he told him to come meet secretly in his home. So Mana went to meet with the village leader, And then we see is that when he went, his people, his church members, and his wife and his daughter in the home, the woman's home that they meet in, who they threaten to burn down, and some others, is they followed behind. They didn't listen to their pastor, they disobeyed him. What happens when you disobey Pastor Mark? (laughs) Obviously, that's a sign of trouble. So, is... They uh, did not listen to him, and they followed him because they love him. And their thought was, like these Hebrews here in chapter 10 is, no, we're going to go stand with you. And if it means that others know that I'm a Christian and I am with you, and all of this is going to come upon me, then so be it. And so they went and stood with Manan and spoke to the village leader. And for one hour, that leader interviewed him and questioned about, what are you doing? And at the end of it, he told him, he said, is that you must no longer witness and tell other people about Jesus Christ. And if you do, is that further harm is going to come upon you, and I will not be able to do anything to protect you. So, what did the people do? Pastor Mon and the church members do. They left, and as Pastor Pastor Monon said, is we must still is be a witness and share the gospel. And so the church met this just two days ago, as they met again to worship, and they congregated, and he taught them about persecution, how to endure it. And they're thinking about how to stay fa- stand fast and to continue to be a witness to their community regardless. And they have a certain joy is being able to suffer for Christ and a confidence that he will be with them. And the reason that they're able to do this is because the fear of death does not control them. Just this morning, as I received news, that in our Hindu church plant is that they had their Hindu festival just this past week, and because members there would not participate in the feast and join with them, is the community and the families got angry at them, and they, for some, were telling that you must now leave, we're kicking you out, 
Others are now saying your employment, we're no longer going to give you work. And for this couple, as they said, you can no longer get water from the well because you come and draw water from the well and they cut them off from their water supply. So what do you think they did? You think they said, okay, we won't worship Jesus anymore? You think they said, is okay, look, we, we, we will participate next year? Do you think they said, okay, we won't hang out with these Christians anymore? No, they didn't. Is they continue is to worship Christ. Why? You're losing everything. It's because the fear of death does not control them. And so in verse 34, or in 35 and 36, it says, Therefore do not throw your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And so what's important for us is us to receive what the Lord has promised. It is important that we endure right losses and threats to our life for his sake. We live for him, right, and not for man. And this is a part of our ministry, is encouraging and strengthening believers is to endure and to not give up, and, there's, and that support is needed. And that's why when they know that you are supporting them, and they do, and we know that they know that you are praying for them, and they do, and when they have our support and helps and equipping, etc., is it heartens them, it strengthens them is to endure. In Hebrews chapter 11, you will see in verse 23, it's about Moses, and it was ultimately is, why did Moses, who is the ultimately able to take the step he did and the risks he took, it says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that he, they, because they saw that he was um, a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember, as the king it said, as all the children must be put to death, these Hebrew children. But we see is that in that time is that the parents of Moses, is they would not obey the king, even though that was the king's edict, that was his command, is rather they feared God over the king, and they decided is that, no, we will not obey this king's edict. And so they hid Moses. And why? Because they were not afraid. Fear did not control them. Nah, rather their love for God and their devotion to him is controlled them. And then it says about Moses when he grew older, and you think about his heritage. The reason he lived was because people did not fear. If they had feared, he would not have lived. Those were his roots. That was his heritage. So it says of Moses, when he grows older, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, it was a choice, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. We know is that when Moses gave up, he lived in royalty. He lived in security. He lived in safety. He lived in pleasure. He lived in possession, in positions. He had people's acceptance. He had everything, the American dream. It says that he voluntarily gave it up, gave it up, and he made a choice that he would give up is all the safety, pleasures, etc. of the world. And says in verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so we see is for him is that it says of Moses that the reason that he took this risk is again, it was like the believers there in chapter 10 is he was thinking about the reward. He's thinking about future. He's thinking about eternity. He's thinking about God. And he's thinking about his reward and about being with him forever. And so he's considering which one is of more value. So he gives up the treasures of the world in order to have the treasures of God. And the chief treasures of God is God himself. So he makes that choice. And so we see again is why did fear not control Moses? 
because of the hope that he had for eternity. This is a great problem in the church. Our teaching and our thinking and our desiring and our prayers are so this world oriented that even though theoretically we believe in heaven, in actuality, it is not a reality of our lives. We are completely invested in this life and our prayers surround this life and about this problem or that problem and this gain or that loss and everything like that. And so everything is for the now. And so it is no wonder that in this pandemic, the church itself has been shaken as much as society. The world has been shaken. Because as much as the world is the world's treasure, in so many ways, how true it is that in the church as Christians, the world is our treasure. And therefore came the pandemic. It shook all of our pleasures, security, safety, health. And what happened? A lot of meltdowns and a lot of fears. My own building, I go on the elevator, and at different times for me and Jenny and Jennifer, is a person asks us not to get on the elevator with them, even though it would mean there's two of us. And we both have our masks because they're afraid. But is the Christian as afraid as they are? And if he is, why? Is the fear of death controlling his life? Or is the love of Christ and the hope of Christ controlling his life? It says from Moses, because Moses risked his life, because the fear of death did not control him, and rather he was living for eternity. That was a step he was taking. And it says in verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He didn't care what the king was going to do. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. It says the second thing about Moses, which is connected to the first thing, it was the reward for eternity. This was the secret to him not fearing death. Intertwined with that was this, is because it says he saw him who is unseen. So the him is God, and it says he saw him. And because he saw him whom he could not see, it was the heart and the core of his hope for risking all for him. In 2 Timothy, if you look in chapter 1 and verse 12, is Paul said something similar on this line as to why he risks going through all of this suffering for Christ's sake. In verse 12, it says this, Paul said, "Is for this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Why was he ashamed? He was bold about it, in other words. And it says is, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So Paul said, as I suffered willingly for the Lord, I was not embarrassed, and I was bold about this. And the reason was, he said, is, is because I know whom I have believed. And that word in the Greek is know. It stems from a word which means to see, to perceive, to have a seeing of. It's like Moses, because he saw him whom he did not see. So the thing is, Paul said, is the reason I was able to endure this, the reason I was able to willingly suffer and risk my life and not fear for my life, etc., was because I know whom I believed. This is a root problem for the person who fears. We, there are those of us who believe in Christ. But we do not know him. You know, you can believe in Christ, and you can believe that he's your savior. You can believe that he died on the cross for you. You can believe that he is your provider, and he's your healer, and he's your protector, and he's your savior. You can believe all those things. You can have these beliefs about it, 
like if someone asks you. But the reality is, is you don't really know him. You don't have this oneness with him. You don't have this knowing in relationship with him. And so basically what you have is you have a theological relationship with him, but you don't have an actual relationship with him. And so what happens is when threats come upon your life, and what you've got is a theology, but you don't have a knowing of him whom you believe in and this theology of him, is what you find is that you break down. Because what it is, is a dogma that you have. You have a doctrine, but you don't have the life of the doctrine. You have this knowledge about him. It's just that you don't have the knowing of him. And that's a huge difference. That's why you can have Bible studies. And if the Bible studies are oriented towards increasing in the knowledge of Christ, but they are not oriented towards knowing Christ, what's going to happen is you're going to be all doctrinally correct, which is good. But you're going to find is none of it works in your life because you do not know whom you have believed. Moses saw him whom he believed. Paul knew him whom he believed. So you see in Sol Mari is the reason that they're able to take this risk is because they know Jesus. They have seen him move and work and change in their soul and their life. And though they be simple, and a lot of them are illiterate, they have more courage than seminary professors. They have more courage and more zeal and more sacrifice and more abandon than pastors that lead members of 10,000 people, churches. And that is why Jesus said is that some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. You ever wondered where you are on that scale? If we live in the fear of death, we're the last. Momata, who some of you read about in our newsletters, she's the daughter of an imam, and her grandfather was an imam. And She's 20 years old, and she married Barak, and Barak was a Muslim when they married, and he became a Christian. And when he revealed to her that he is now a believer in Christ, he came to Christ through our ministry there in Dhaka. She was so angry at him. She couldn't believe it. And so she seethed over this, but Barak prayed for her, we prayed for her. And the short of the story is, is that Momata gave her life to Christ and in July is, I baptized her there in Dhaka. And I still remember the day she was baptized. She was happy. She's really happy. It's happy as she's been in her life. She lived such an oppressed life, controlled life, and she always feared death. Because in Islam, you always fear death. And her father is an imam, and so he was so angry at her that he has severed all relations with her, uh, and they've had a baby, and they've refused to even see the baby. And he is now in her eyes, you are no longer my daughter, she can no longer go to her village to go see her family. And her father has disinherited her. And she lives with Barak. And what does she get when she married Barak? Nothing. Because Barak is so poor. He's just poor. And it's because of Christ, because he's had his own job loss issues because of Christ. And so... They can't pay their rent. They live in one room. They eat very insufficiently. They've got no inheritance. He can, cannot get a job for the life of him except for this little pittance job he gets. 
but she's chosen the life. She does not fear death. She doesn't fear poverty. She doesn't fear sickness. Why? Because the fear of death does not control her. The love of Christ controls her. And there is a joy that she has. Sometimes you go, like, really? You know, how are you? You go, Balo, that means good. And, you know, they're just, like, happy about Jesus. And they're, like, they witness to some of their other neighbors there. You know, Bray called me, you know, about a week ago. And he was, like, excited because he was sharing Christ with someone else. You know, it's like, don't you realize that believing in Christ is, like, ruining your life? But he's like, yeah, the outside life, but not the inside life. He is more free than probably anyone in this room, including myself. He already knows what it is to lose everything and not to care what happens to me. And that the love of Jesus is what possesses me, controls me. He's my love. He's my first. And whatever that's going to happen is going to happen. But he's my treasure. When you have true hope, true hope in Christ for eternal life, it changes this life. It changes how you live. It changes your decisions. It changes how you serve. It changes how you witness. It changes about risks that you take. It changes your attitude about worship. It changes you about sacrifices for Christ. And it changes how you use your money. It just changes everything. Because your whole values, right, is just changes upside down. And so what is the key to having is this hope? Because the root of it is, is that if, if I have this living hope for eternity, it will change me in about fearing death in this world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, is Peter said this about us, if this is indeed the case of you and of me. In verse 3, it says, this is what happens to someone when they become a Christian, they're born again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Notice, in this you greatly rejoice, even though you have trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, Moses, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, is full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. In other words, what's supposed to happen for us as Christians, we are supposed to be filled with this inexpressible joy that we are now insulated from the fear of the world, and we are possessed by the love of Christ and the joy of Christ, and it drives us in every decision that we make. Not the world, and not leaders, but God. Because that's what the apostles said when they were instructed in Acts chapter 4 is to, into chapter 5, is to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. They said, well... You decide whether that's what you think, but we must obey God is rather than man. In Solmari, they have been commanded not to witness anymore in Jesus' name. So said the village leader. And Pastor Monin has said is, 
No, but we must witness in Jesus' name because we obey him and not the village leader. That's how it is. So, in verse 3, how does this happen? It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his grace has caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what I want us to think about here is this, is that there is a living hope. This hope is real. It's there. It's waiting. It's treasure in heaven, joy in heaven with God forever. This is our living hope. But it says is that you, it's for those who have been born again to this living hope. What happens when I'm born again? When I'm born again is I am become alive to this living hope. I become alive to this living hope, which means now I see it, I feel it, I know it, I have it. There is a difference between having a theological hope for eternal life and having a living hope for eternal life. There's a very big difference. Some of us have a theological hope. We can articulate it, we can doctrinally explain it, and we know everywhere it talks about in Scripture. But in here, I am not, have not been made alive to this hope. John Wesley, by way of example, was a missionary to America. He came to Georgia. He was a missionary. So on the voyage, is there was a great storm that struck the ship. And of course, what happened is the main sail got torn. The decks flooded with water. It began to seep through the cracks down into the hull. It is recorded that people were screaming in fear of death. And John Wesley was out of his mind. He was also terribly afraid of dying. And he was down there in the hall. And then he went and he opened a cabin in the ship. And there were some Moravians in there. They were from Germany. And before the storm had hit, they had started their worship service. And when Wesley opened the door and he looked in, he saw that they were singing and praying in the storm. And Wesley was shocked. And he said, don't you know there's a storm? And he saw they just kept on worshiping the Lord. The storm did not shake their worship. And afterwards, Wesley went and he asked them, is to their leader says, were you not afraid of the storm? Because then the storm eventually subsided and they survived. And he asked them, were you not afraid? And they said, no, we were not afraid. And he says, weren't you afraid you were going to die? And they said, no, we were not. And he says, well, what about your woman and your children? And he says, no, they were not afraid. They they were not afraid to die. And Wesley was perplexed. And that day he realized they had something that he did not have. Wesley records that when he got off that ship, he searched out to find the bishop of the Moravians. He wanted to know their Jesus. And the bishop began to question him, and he began to question and had questions that surrounded new birth. And then what happened is Wesley realized through all of this is that even though he was a missionary, he was not born again. And he had the humility and the honesty to say, I, and everyone knows me as a missionary, but I myself, I realize, have not been born again. He began to search for this new birth, and it would be two years later in England, he would hear a sermon. And it was something being read from Martin Luther. And when he heard it about this faith, something happened in his soul 
and he was made alive. And from there was born, reborn as John Wesley, and from there was born the Methodist movement who became the fieriest believers that she would know in these revivals, etc. He became born again, alive to this living hope. The reason in the church, one reason that many people are fearing like the world is having a theological hope, but not being made alive to this hope. And if you are controlled by the fear of death, is really search your soul and ask yourself this question first is, are you born again? Really? And if not, like Wesley, is seek the new birth in him. And when you are born of his spirit, you will find a freedom from the fear of death and a great expectation of eternal life. The second thing in 1 John chapter 1, chapter 4, is why we fear. Verses 16 to 18, as we have come to know and to believe the love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. The fear of death, ultimately there is the fear that there is no eternal joy. But actually eternal doom. Why do people do bucket lists? They're trying to have as much fun as they can. Really, deep down in their heart, they feel death is doom. It can be that you are born again. But the truth is you struggle in your heart with this fear of death still. And, and it's like, why am I fearing death if I am in Christ? And John says is that a reason that we will fear death, fear God's judgment, and therefore fear death is because is that we are not complete in love. It says the person who is perfected is, is complete in love is he does not fear because fear, because fear involves judgment. But if I am perfected in love and I am as Christ, then I do not fear as judgment because I am one with him. I am like him. I walk with him. I move with him. He lives in me. We have fellowship. We have communion. So why would I ever fear death? As Paul said, is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But when there is a lack of love in our lives, in our souls, is our own heart deep down is troubled. And our heart is troubled because I'm not the way I should be. And then it makes me think is, am I really saved? Which is why John wrote the third chapter. If you look in verse chapter 3 and you read from about 14 onward, is about how to assure your heart before God. And it's connected to the love of the brethren, etc. And so is a reason that we will fear and panic, like in this pandemic, is ultimately there is, in our hearts, is a lack of the fullness of the love of God in us. And the lack of that fullness troubles me about my relationship with him. And therefore, there's this kind of deep down kind of fear or anxiety about death. And therefore, it makes me cling to money and pleasures and safety and no risks and, and, and being healthy, et cetera, et cetera, because I, I, I'm not ready for death. You know, I, I'm avoiding death. And so therefore, the secret to being free from the fear of death is to be perfected in the love of Christ. And so to close is what to do is, first of all, as we've said, 
if you have not been born again, and you're like a John Wesley, you were so devoted to God and yet not reborn of God, is to seek him for this new birth. For without it, we perish forever. And through it, we are made alive to a living hope. And number two, the last passage is in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 24 and 25. And this is why the convening of the body is so critical. And even now, though there are risks. It says in verse 19, is therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, that's the communion with God by the blood of Christ, of Jesus, we have this confidence. He's given us by a new and living way. It's a living way, which he inaugurated uh, for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith. There's a confidence of drawing near to him, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This unwavering hope, it's Moses' hope, it's Paul's hope, it's Patrick Manon's hope. For he who promises faithful... And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Take it in for a moment. The context in Hebrews 10 of the meeting of the saints together as we have this hope that our faith and our hope would not waver and so what do we need to do? We need to convene. We need to meet. And what is to encourage one another to do what is to love, to do good. And this is connected to our hope. And John said, as when we're perfected in love, we do not fear death, but we have great confidence. So then the convening of the body, like right here, right now, is about encouraging one another and should be stimulating one another to love, to be perfect in love, and to be controlled by the love of Christ and not the fear of death. And so the church, in a pandemic, should be the light to the community, the hope for the community, and ministering to the community. This is a prime time to minister to hundreds of millions of people who are paralyzed by the fear of death, that they will not even get on an elevator with me, even though we have masks on. We have the hope. We need to give the hope, and we need to live out the hope, and for the Lord to move through us. And so encourage you is to seek to be filled with that hope. And encourage you to pray for the brethren in Bangladesh who literally, at this very moment, this very week, are taking risks for Christ. But the fear of death is not controlling, but the love of Christ. And at the same time, they need the support, the prayers, and encouragement that they would endure is to pray for them and to pray for us is to be able to minister for strongly and powerfully to them. And we invite you to continue to partner with us and to fellowship with us. And may we stimulate one another to love and good deeds for Christ's sake and for people to be liberated from the fear of death and enter into the control of the love of Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to free us from the fear of death and to fill us with the love of you. Lord, we confess, I myself confess, how easily we can be shaken, how easily we can become timid. But Lord, you made us to be bold as lions. You made us to be like the Moravians in the storm. You made us to be like Moses. You made us to be like Paul. 
You made us to be like these simple, poor believers in Sol Mari. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill New Dorp Church with your Holy Spirit to mightily and boldly and fruitfully is minister in your holy name for the liberation of people from the fear of death, from the hold of Satan, to eternal life, to your eternal treasure and joy. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.